Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode one of Pointless, the miniseries from the Four Weeks podcast that asks, what's the point? I'm Harry Davis and here's my interview with Glyn Davis, a conservationist for World Wildlife Fund and my dad. Excuse the quality, we're in quarantine right now so we've had to do it over the internet but I hope you enjoy the content. I definitely enjoyed the conversation. I think um, this should work okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I... I got a song for you, ready? Fire away. Then sings my soul, my saviour comes to me. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my saviour comes to me. How great thou art, how great thou art. So how about that? So I sing that in the forest sometimes. I think there is a sense of wonder at um, nature. And that song captures that lifting of the spirit. And how great thou art for me would be, I guess in Christian terms, how great the creation is. And, and creation's a nice a concept, obviously as an evolutionary biologist, I'm not breathing to uh, God making the world in seven days. But it is a thing of wonder and uh, richness and surprise. So sing my soul. The way I think of dad as a kid is you standing on top of a box of snakes in Kuwait. In Kuwait, um, there was a moment of transition from being a rather lost and lonely uh, boarding school boy with no friends to... um, <clears throat> meeting the McQuaids and Trevor. They were schoolboys in Kuwait. Uh, my age, uh, we were all sent off to boarding school when we were very little. That's where our fathers worked. And we used to go out and used to go out into the desert. And I guess I've always had a sense of exploration about me. They had a snake in the on the lawn and they picked it up and they put it in my hand. It was a weird sensation of being cold, but not slimy, rather dry and sort of lifeless. Because those scales is a key step in animal evolution to not lose your body moisture. The frogs, the the newts, the amphibians, which preceded the reptiles, 
do not have a cuticle and therefore they need to stay near water all the time because they don't have a sort of a shield, a skin, a layer that prevents them losing all their body water. So it's a big step for the amphibians. But when you feel a snake, it feels lifeless because it's this um, impervious cuticle that you sort of hold. Its eyes look rather strange, uh, but it still was a, you could sort of see what it was thinking. I guess it's part of the creation, I suppose. You know, that was four weeks then back to boarding school. And boarding school, I guess, yeah, again, when I was 11, 12, um, I, I had been sort of awakened to nature. I remember the history master grabbing me uh, my jacket through a classroom window as I walked across a flat roof to check my moth trap, and I think he thought I was about to jump out the window. So we all had fountain pens, so we had to get uh, uh, um, ink, quink as it was, in little bottles, black or, or blue ink, and they came in a little cardboard box. And you could get take the bottle out and put it in your desk, and then you could um, fold the box by sort of pressing it along its creases. And I went a stage further and I sellotaped all the creases so that it wouldn't tear. So I could put that box in my school jacket pocket. And then if I found uh, any leaf with uh, caterpillar eggs underneath, I could unflatten the box and stick the bottom in and the lid on so it became a box again. And I could put the uh, leaf with the caterpillar eggs on, take it back to school, and then get jam jars from the rubbish bins and stab them with a compass uh, to put an air in, and then collect the stinging nettles from around school grounds and feed up uh, caterpillars. And it is an extraordinary act of creation to watch metamorphosis. To watch a rather sort of ugly, wormy, squidgy caterpillar turn into the most extraordinary chrysalis. And then after time and watching the colours in the chrysalis go all sorts of silvery and gold colours for it to split down its back and out emerges a butterfly. It's amazing. And through that, finding great uh, peace of mind, there was a great breadth that natural history brought to me on top of my schooling. And because of that, I did very well in science. So I sort of got up to the top of the class because my ecological understanding and 
interest in biology drove that. So that kind of moved me from mediocre to top uh, group in the school. But I always thought that your A-levels weren't that great. The A-levels weren't, but my knowledge was very good. And uh, the, the A-levels was really not, not having enough training on passing exams. If I'd been born a week later, I would have been a year, I would have been the eldest of the next year. As it was, I was the youngest in my year. I know there's a whole book about August babies. Apparently, there are almost no uh, international footballers who are born in August, or international anything. It's you are just always at the bottom of your year. And I think particularly in a boys' school, teenage, well, 12, 13, 14, I was always the littlest. Um, but to make it in science, top science stream was fine. And that I think that just helped my confidence and moved me on to another plane. And I always think that they were golden years. My A-level years and my undergraduate years were golden years. Natural history never let me down. There's always some piece of nature somewhere, even in a town. I'd go into a, a park in London and I would find lime hawk moss, which I remember doing with you in the, uh, in the lime trees outside the parish's house in Britain. I remember explaining to Chantal how come one of the cherry trees in a road near her flat was flowering in October. And I said, because it's a photoperiodism, where plants trigger their actions by day length. And of course, day length in March, April is the same as the day length is in October, November. So the odd tree gets it wrong. She thought that was extraordinary. How did I know that? I feel part of the oxygen that comes from those trees. I feel part of the insects that come from them. I don't, I don't not in a, I just feel part of it. It just feels very natural. And Some people might feel part of an art gallery or something. Do you feel closer to it? because of your vocation or because of your knowledge? I think both because of uh, uh, it makes my soul sing. I, you know, I have never let that be, been let down by it. You know, it's there and it, it always inspires me. I find it beautiful. Even the plants on our balcony I find beautiful. And I still can't, you know, how does a flower bud really work? How does it come out of just a bit of old bark? I mean, I know how it comes, but it's still amazing. <laughs> um, and and would, you, would you describe that as your faith? Oh, so I have a faith in the ability of natural systems to support us and to repair themselves as long as we give them a chance.
And do you think that second uh, component of what you just said is where you derive... And I've told you the story about, you know, grandpa saying to me when I had to choose my A-levels, and I said, I want to do zoology. And he did very well. You know, he didn't say, God, you must be joking. I mean, sorry, this is 72. You know, not many people did zoology in 72. <laughs> Poor old dad. And he's, he, he didn't say, and then two weeks later, he spoke to me. He said, and he did it very well. And he said, oh, you know, the important thing, Glenn, is to distinguish between a hobby and a career. So I've done my hobby all my life. I thank whoever you're supposed to thank. I, I try and do it by inspiring narratives that are about people and nature. For many pure ecologists don't like me. In, like my position here, and they don't know me, but, you know, in, in that I say, no, no, we can't just throw all the people out of there. I try to address that by making and creating a narrative uh, that links uh, humans and nature. Oh, that's a big, big question, Harry. Um, I just have to try and create as many narratives that inspire people to not lose, to have some areas of nature, ideally wild nature, um, and then areas of managed nature where we take off products, and then areas which we've given off to, you know, industrial agriculture and infrastructure. It is interesting, some of the research that uh, uh, Public Health England have been doing, showing, you know, not only does having nature, uh, for example, improve um, um, well-being, and reduce, uh, for example, heart operations. Uh, recovery time after a heart operation is halved. Uh, for some people, if they can see a tree out of their hospital window, compared to those who can't. But they've even gone so far as to show at least some correlation between communities that have access to nature having lower crime rates. And, and, you know, your own generation is far more aware of those needs. But our technology is so destructive. We can wipe stuff out in seconds. And our emotional intelligence and our institutions have not caught up. We need to restore. There are places in many areas where we have overshot. And um, there is a sense now and an interest in restoration. And, and that can be an interesting uh, an industry itself. People find it tremendously uh, enriching to restore something. And I like to share beautiful animals and pictures and stuff. People need to sort of inhale it. So I sang you a song. Uh, 
which derives from the, you know, I know nature restores me. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you it does. And I've touched on pieces of what inspires me about it, but it restores me. Um, and, uh, you know, and my soul sings. Things like legacy, you know, am I proud of things? So I'm proud of my technical work, but it, it's only a layer on top of what I am. And I do it because that's been my education, because my personality is one of being responsible and you know, you have to write this stuff up and explain to people what you found out. Um, You're a scientist. Those can be policy documents. Yeah. Um, so so, and, but also I am a communicator. I, I I can turn that into, you know, trying to make a, a narrative for development of, of um, joy. So joy comes from what I do. And I like to recharge my joy batteries um, through spending time in the forest. And then actually the joy bit, I guess, is coming and sharing it afterwards. And I suppose that is pride in its way. It's sort of a bit like that, yeah. To see some beautiful bird or animal in the forest doing its thing, is a joyful experience. I just see it as um, a relay race. And, you know, what I do could be undone tomorrow. So here in Borneo, and I guess I would say I was proud in the sense of legacy that the first major job I did um, we identified an area of 1,200 square kilometers um, which should be set aside and it is a protected area uh, and, and it's been terribly mismanaged and all the timber's been taken out which has never been the case and so forth. But I surveyed it last year and it's still rich, 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 rich in almost all the threatened species so we did surveys in 79, 80, 81, and the objective was can we identify areas to be made into protected areas for, for summer. I was employed to that, but I did my PhD in my spare time on red leaf lines. Uh, no, it was just my first job. I was 22, and I was lucky enough to get a, 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 put a proposal together and Go to Malaysia, got some money for it, and I worked with uh, my friend John Payne. He joined me, and the two of us surveyed all of Sabah, and it was a huge job. And, and uh, I was, uh, I am delighted that the report we wrote, which is hundred fifty pages or something, um, is still used forty years later. 
and the data and the effort we put in to try to be serious and clear and not, you know, put nonsense in, um, was appreciated then and, and even now. And I didn't know that. And wonderful last year to survey Tabin Wildlife Reserve, which was established as a result of our recommendation in 1982. I mean, it's probably the most important area in Sabah's lowlands, eastern lowlands. So that's wonderful to know, but, you know, it could be cleared tomorrow or whatever. I don't, I don't feel like it's mine. I suppose that's the other part of it. I don't feel that about Sabah. I feel like I'm here to help Sabahans and that I hope that that, that that contribution is for the world and for Sabah. I don't, I don't feel proud about it, really. I just feel like I feel satisfied. And it feels deeper. Yeah, so lucky again. Yeah, I mean, I think early on, when you're sort of full of bravado and, you know, 22-year-old young chap, you, you kind of learn, I, I certainly learned in Malaysia, actually, this is not your country, and... Uh, uh, as a sort of noisy young chap, I, I definitely had the feeling that people, you know, thought this guy's being too pushy. But they also respected the work we did and remembered that much more than my personality. So, so I've always felt, actually, this land is not mine, but it's a privilege to contribute to it. Do you have any... Uh, sort of failures or, or blind spots or regrets that that have crafted your beliefs today? That was Limbay Botanical Garden, uh, living in Limbay, uh, young family, and we're trying to do conservation on Mount Cameron, which is a, a, a huge centre of plant biodiversity, especially. Um, and there was just a sense that whatever you invested, it wouldn't stay for long, that there were no um, institutional frameworks or political processes to hold people to account and that corruption and uh, elites ripping off poor people really left you wondering how, how, how much that not left me, left me thinking, I, the contribution I've made here is, is not much. Other people have stayed and the program's been a long time and things have been achieved, but I kind of was exhausted after that. It, it, it means you have to take much, much longer in certain parts of, of uh, the world where governance is poor and corruption is high. Um, but there are young people coming up who are ready to take the challenge and it just takes longer to get where you need. And at this stage in my career, I don't have that luxury I need to be areas where governance is pretty good 
and there was a good chance of making things. And I no longer wish to go into the most uh, difficult and adventurous theatres. But hopefully someone else can. Yeah, yeah. There are young people coming through. Show them out. I did my shift. <laughs>